Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Big Shiny Takes. I am one of your hosts, Eric Wickham, and with me today is a man who is just chopping off heads and uh, hemorrhaging followers on Twitter for his takes. Jeremy Appel, how you doing today, bud? Not too bad. I've actually, like, gained a few... Like, I've gained more followers than I've lost <laughs> um, since... Uh, going ham on uh our dear leader justin trudeau <laughs> on the timeline but yeah i'm i'm you know i'm doing whatever yeah i'm fine well it, it's not i'm not i'm not upset it's it's cool I'm not sad. that um people are basically accusing you of treason for criticizing the prime minister and i appreciate <laughs> that and uh although you're my friend i i look forward to the day that we put you in stocks and throw tomatoes at you uh i'm also joined by uh our, our other friend on the mics, uh, Marino Greco. Marino, the most eloquent member of Big Shiny Takes, of course. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm like that cat in the famous poster. Uh, Jeremy, I'm happy to hear that you made a net revenue of probably more worthwhile followers. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anyone of importance to me who unfollowed Mark me. Bury. <laughs> no well i on my personal account i was always blocked i was bar- blocked by mark Bury since <laughs> the initial candleland we story yeah. and i'd never interacted with him yeah but jesse i'd like to jesse brown tweet about we and he just mass blocked anyone who liked it I mean, we's got to have something on this guy. I, um, but anyways, he blocked us from the pod account because I pointed out that we had referred media requests to him. Mm-hmm. Now, from my understanding, that that would make him a we spokesperson. Would, would you agree with I think that? that's a fair characterization. Yeah, well, he didn't. And, uh, he's, he's no longer a friend of the show. He's, he's been taken. He's been taken to the great gulag in the sky. <laughs> My favorite part of this was like you uh, you sent us a message right before you did it, and you went, "Hey, would you mind if we uh, we got blocked by Mark Bury?" And I went, "No." <laughs> and Marino went, "Also no." And within what fifteen minutes, you you made it happen. Unbelievable work. More great work from Jeremy Appel on the Big Shiny Takes Twitter account. Uh, please, please give us a follow. Um, you won't, you won't regret it. So, a big thing happened uh, in our little world this past week. One of uh, one of the old guard at uh, one of the worst newspapers I can think of is no longer a columnist there. Barbara k has gone, guys. Yeah. No, but she said she may be a columnist in the future. <laughs> so, so I think she, in I think in her mind she's doing like an Atlas Shrugged thing where you know our intellectual superiors go on strike and society crumbles. I feel like that's what like I think it's I I read Atlas Shrugged years ago and it was you know most books I read even if they're not good I don't regard it as a complete waste of my time. But Atlas Shrugged one. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like totally, it's like a thousand or whatever pages of just the most superficial propaganda that, I mean, there's no like depth to the characters. They're all caricatures of, you know, how a like hardcore neoliberal ideologue sees the world. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Barbara Kay sucks. Um, and our, our, I mean, I, I don't know if I can classify him as friend of the show yet. Uh, Davide Mastracci wrote a great piece, what, two weeks ago, entitled, How Did We Get Stuck by With the Kays? And basically leveling both Barbara and mother boy Jonathan, basically down to ground level. Uh, and, I mean, it was, it was fun to watch happen because... Cause uh, Barbara did not appreciate it, and uh, very soon afterwards, she uh, she wrote her very public resignation letter, which reminds me of another another person who wrote a resignation letter not too long ago. Jeremy, oh, she is clearly inspired. Like it was so obviously, she looked at Barry Weiss 
what she did and Andrew Sullivan at New York Magazine. She's like, I'm going to do this for Canada. <laughs> but in, in any event, uh, we're not going to talk much more about Barbara Kay's weird non-resignation letter because most of it we've already said about Barry Weiss on our first patrons-only bonus episode that you can have access to along with a, a bonus episode each week for $3 a month. Pretty good price. If, if anything, you're making money by listening to these podcasts. So subscribe, you know, it, it helps us make the show and it makes, it helps us make the show better. It's free real estate. It's free real estate. That's all you need to know about it. I think our listeners are richer from having listened to us. Yes. So give give us some back. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> because you know what? It's it's such a, a joy making this podcast. But what would make it more joyful is being able to do this all the time and not having to have another job. So, yeah, please subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, we'll be putting out more great content on it. We're going to stop grifting now and we're going to jump into this uh, fun fun episode we have for you guys it's gonna upset some of jeremy's twitter followers if they're still following because it's about a totally not a scandal involving yeah. involving the we charity the biggest non-scandal to ever threaten a uh, standing government boys what's what's the deal with the keelbergers <laughs> i don't know much about them um except that they're they're twins right mm they're brothers. I don't think they're twins. Um, I think one of them's Ray. Okay. I, I think I was I think I was getting them mixed up with the McBoyles and always- <laughs> 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 um, they're like always like drinking milk and like making out with each other, right? Yeah, basically <laughs> that's how they like raise their funds. Which is actually that's uh that's what we do with our ten dollar patrons, actually, is we drink milk and make out with them. Yeah, no, I just um yeah, I get them confused um, with the McBoyle twins because, like, I know they have these, like, big stadium rallies that are very vague <laughs> in terms of their purpose. <laughs> in that the prime minister has attended many of these rallies. I know enough about we to know that this is an actual scandal. So pull your head over your ass, liberals. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, yeah, just a, a quick aside about the Kielbergers. The legend of the Kielbergers goes something like this. Uh, Craig Kielberger was 12 years old, and he was reading a newspaper because he wanted to get to the comic book section. Or the, not comic book, the comic section to read great things like Doonesbury or Family Circus. This is kind of a family circus in its own way. <laughs> that being said, so so he, he was skimming through the newspaper. He saw a... Uh, a story about a 12-year-old boy, same age as him, former child slave who had been murdered for speaking up for human rights. And so Craig Kielberger saw that and went, you know what, I, I, I don't like that. I'm going to start a charity to stop that. Funny story, uh, they haven't solved it yet, but uh, they're still around. They're giving sort of these high school party in the right spirit seminars and uh, bringing in celebrities to talk about how how helping people is good, and uh, spending a whole lot of money, and uh, now they're sort of embroiled in this national scandal. Uh, the Kielbergers Me to We Foundation has has sometimes, or, or the We Foundation, or Free the Children, whatever iteration you want to talk about, has been characterized sometimes by ex-employees as a cult. I found a copy of their book, which only helps solidify the idea that this is a very, very well-functioning, uh, well-funded cult. This book is infuriating to read. Do you, do you guys want me to read a couple of my favorite passages? Oh, please. So we're just jumping in into a chapter called The Me to We Philosophy Takes Shape from the book Me to We, Finding Meaning in a Material World, Craig Kielberger and Mark Kielberger. Um, this is the most pompous piece of shit book I've ever had the pleasure of looking through. Um, and I'm going to keep it on my bedside table for a very long time to remind me that you don't have to be smart or to be successful. You just have to write a book and be 12 years old and whatever. Uh, so this paragraph is entitled Reaching Out. 
As we develop our awareness of we in all its different manifestations, we begin to recognize opportunities to live me to we in daily life. Hurrying to work, we spot the child who is wandering around lost. Around is spelt uh, without the U in it. Uh, caught in rush hour, we see the motorist struggling with a flat tire. Instead of remaining oblivious to those in need, we recognize these situations as opportunities to help. Instead of turning away, we take action. We may start with simple things. Words of encouragement for someone who is feeling down. Help with yard work for an elderly neighbor. A hot meal for a person who cannot afford one. A few hours a week at a local shelter. Instead of complaining that the park is dirty, <laughs> sorry, we spend a few hours cleaning it up. Instead of bemoaning an issue, we write a letter to our congressperson. We may start out slowly, but gradually helping becomes a habit. So, kind of just nothing. The, the, this, this sounds like it was written for elementary school kids. Yes. So this this book was given to someone as they graduated high school. But it, the the reading level it's, seems a lot lower. It's wildly condescending, right? Like it's it's also nonsense. It's like be nice. Um this is what our organization <laughs> is is being nice. We are the embodiment yeah. of this this feeling of not being a piece of shit to strangers. And and that it's just it's a very transparent grift, is it not? Don't don't uh, don't don't like examine and criticize structures because that would threaten us. <laughs> and also, right, exactly. In 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 like when we want something done, we write to our congressman. <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, they're Canadian, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they write to they write to their member of parliament. I guess yeah. their target audience is international. Yes. Um, which could explain the condescending tone. Yeah. And in fairness to Mark Kielberger, he was Harvard educated and a Rhodes Scholar, which, as we know from uh, Rex Murphy, is no uh, indication of writing talent or good ideas. So, Or in the case of Bill Clinton not being a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> It just, it's not carte blanche, guys, just because you're a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah. Anyways, second paragraph that I wanted you guys to hear. This is from a chapter called Benefits for Me. It is one of the most beautiful compensations of this life that no one can sincerely try to help another without helping himself. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Big wee day guy. Okay, if middle wee is so wonderful, why hasn't everyone already embraced this new approach to life? Being nice, new approach to life. Uh, research tells us that the answer is both incredibly complex and astonishingly simple. Fear. <laughs> the fact is, we're afraid. A lot of us have grown up with the belief that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. We worry that, it, that notions of community are idealistic tales from the past relevant in our cutthroat mile-a-minute world. We're concerned that if we think in terms of we... Then me will suffer. <laughs> this is like North Korea shit. <laughs> I, I should I should let you know that me and we are capitalized through this entire paragraph. It is it's cult shit. Like this is very normal. Listen, I agree that being good to other people is important. I agree that community is important. However, I don't think your organization is necessary for that to function. I, I think we can do that yeah, separate. Like, NGOs are not a replacement for the state. Yeah, yeah. It's it's what nonprofits are, and this is this is me coming from a nonprofit communications background. Is paper mache over cracks? Um, they fill in gaps that mm. are created by either the state or just society not being able to take care of its own. And the charity comes to fill the gap. It's not a long-term solution. It is something that keeps people from suffering more, which is nice. But when you think long-term, a lot of these organizations have to dig deep to get anything done. And they usually have to partner with corporations who are only looking for a check presentation and media coverage for it. So really, it's terrible 
that we have to rely on NGOs at all. And I think that's a lot of the the consternation that was surrounding the fact that we was awarded a $900 million contract from our federal government, what, like a month ago? Right. And, and so they were awarded a single source contract. And I know liberal Twitter that it was something that isn't a sole source contract, but it is. Mm-hmm. But... So the government essentially gave them, in practice, contracted out the summer jobs program to we. So we haven't quite established what we does except hold big rallies in stadiums and spout off a bunch of cliches. Like, what, what do they do? But like, how are they? How are they qualified? to disperse a summer jobs program? Well, we as an international organization, and I'll give you the definition of what they do from their website. Uh, We builds, we villages, innovative holistic approaches to development that provide access to five key pillars, education, water, health, food, and opportunity. So I, I think what they do is they help. That is that is the goal, and so I, I don't know if there's there's a measurable metric that you can you can use to determine their the effectiveness of their programs. It, it just exists. Just reading this Globe and Mail article that I remember reading, there's 450 virtual volunteering positions, Ugh. like whatever the hell that means. Like what you're going to build someone a house from your home, like mm-hmm. in Canada? I, I don't know. Yeah, through posting. <laughs> it's um, it's it seems to be just as valuable towards third world development than what we do so are they they're creating like privatized villages is that would that be an accurate characterization it's they build community so whatever you want that to mean um, that's what it can mean, I guess. Um, it, it seems purposely vague to me. Um, that's me being a cynic. I mean, they started as Free the Children, and the goal was very clear. It was to end all sorts of child slavery. And of course, as we know, um, they expanded beyond that. And then they also took uh, contracts for from certain organizations that also had some run-ins with uh, violating international child labor laws. But... but- well, they, I thought they changed their name because the children are indeed free now. They succeeded. All, every single children. Yeah, they succeeded on freeing <laughs> the children, and now now they're taking on the bigger issue, trying to like metaphysically connect us all through this weird philosophy. Um, but <laughs> so now I I was told by our prime minister, our dear leader that we was the only NGO with the ability to carry out the summer jobs program. Now, I'm not an expert in NGOs, but I feel like there are other Canadian-based NGOs that can coordinate that sort of thing, that are better suited towards that. Like there's there's non-government organizations and there's also government organizations that could also facilitate this, right? Like this doesn't have to go to a non-profit. Actually, I'd, I'd prefer it to not go. Right, period. exactly. It's filling in a gap in the state that has been left by decades of neoliberalism and austerity in just mm-hmm. cutting services and leaving people on their own and then ngos come up and a lot of them are very well intentioned but they shouldn't exist well that's that's the abolish ngos like 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 the the thing about we is like it was created by a 12 year old who saw a newspaper article who's like we should help people that is not a strategic base that you would use to create an effective organization. And of course they have, they have gotten a little bit more complicated as time has gone on, but I don't see a whole lot of examples of their good work. I'm actually lately, I'm seeing a lot more examples of malpractice and, uh, and corruption. Can we talk about some of those? Yeah. Let's go through it pretty quick and then I'll, we'll get into the, the image rehabilitation that they've, they've attempted (laughs) 
So, of course, near the end of June, uh, Canadian government awarded $900 million student grant program to WE. Uh, very problematic for a ton of reasons that we just went over. Questions started to rise about Trudeau's connection with the organization. First of all, there was a lot of confusion about who first contacted who about this contract. Uh, Mark Kielberger said on record that the PMO contacted him directly about taking this on, um, which he later changed his mind on. Um, which, I mean, to me, sounds like someone told him to say that he didn't. Yeah, 100%. So I can't. Like, I I can't say without a shadow of a doubt that's what happened. However, when someone says something very confidently to the press and then tracks back on that specific point, it's usually because someone decided to tell them to change the story. Um, So that happened on July 3rd, Canada Land, uh, pushed a very very interesting story uh, documenting a little bit of conflict within we it was a phone call with someone who was running operations in Kenya uh, making very obvious uh, threats to someone who uh, worked under him who was supposed to be placing a bribe to a politician I believe um, do you guys remember that? It was a phone call yes. with Mark Kielberger. And that was in Kenya, um, right? The, the yes. government was in Kenya. And didn't wh- weren't they having trouble getting that bribe accepted, if I recall correctly? Like, that was the premise of their phone conversation. Mark plays it pretty safe. I think in, in hindsight, he said that he was already working alongside authorities um, and was trying to get stuff on tape for them about uh, about his former um, employee, Peter. However, um, again, you're going to have to take his word for it because there's no, no proof of it beyond him saying it. And uh, as things continue along, I, I don't want to say that they make themselves seem less trustworthy, but things kind of get a little bit more complicated. So Canada Land also took... Uh, took some time to report another story. Um, this one detailed the amount of money Margaret Trudeau, uh, our prime minister's mother, and his brother were paid in speaking engagements, which I believe the number was somewhere around $200,000 altogether. Who, by the way, are by far the two coolest Trudeaus. <laughs> uh, news also broke about the finance minister, Bill Morneau, um, having possibly an inappropriate relationship with the We Foundation. News broke about how Morneau had around $41,000 of travel expenses paid for by the We Foundation. I, I don't know if it was me to We or if it was the We charity that paid that. However, it wasn't paid for by the government, which to me seems inappropriate. I don't know how you guys feel about that. It's cool. He cut a check, just a, a casual forty yeah. k check, forty one k. Yeah, <laughs> as one does. I, I guess it's worth mentioning that Trudeau apologized. Morneau paid the money back, and so it was interesting mm-hmm. on on Twitter to see all these liberals. And I think we discussed this on the last episode a bit at the top that they're saying, "What? There's no scandal." Nothing wrong. That who else is going to carry out this uh, this jobs program? Do you not want kids to have jobs? <laughs> and then and then Trudeau and, and there's no conflict of interest, right? So they gave his relatives money. Like people get paid to speak at charities all the time. And then Trudeau apologizes, <laughs> and then they're like, "He apologized. Isn't that great?" Like what? A, that just goes to show his humility. And of course, well, Bill Morneau paid them back, so there's no conflict. <laughs> it's, it, it is astounding seeing liberals mental gymnastics, them, yeah, to tie themselves in knots to just defend the prime minister who doesn't give a fuck about them. No, no, he, he wants he, to. He wants to get reelected. Like he wants yeah. to be prime minister as long as possible, but he does not give a shit about you beyond your vote. Yeah, I mean, he seems to think that it's in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms that he gets to be prime minister. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. It's a weird it, interpretation of the notwithstanding clause, but... Yeah. <laughs> it just says, it. it says, Justin's got this. Um, he wrote it in <laughs> with crayons one day. It was unbelievable. <laughs> just right over time. But in any event, so 
wheezing huge scandal. Yes. Like massive. I like Or non scandal, uh, depending who you ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no conflict. Um and it's interesting to see these libs in Alberta who like flip their shit when the UCP does their insane patronage appointments and their web of conflicts of interests. But then when the federal libs do it, they're exactly like the conservatives who defend anything Kenny does, except they're a lot more touchy. You notice yeah. that? Yeah, they're a little sensitive, eh? Yeah, like conservatives, well, you can get into it with them and like call them yeah. names and shit, and it's fun. But, you know, in, in this fog of the election, people were just like, ah, whatever, he did blackface too many times to count, but... Do you want the conservatives in power? And, you know, the vast, 70% of the country or 68% does not want the conservatives in power. The The blackface is something that we should be talking about. And I think it does show the hollowness of his gesture of taking a knee at the Black Lives Matter demo in Ottawa that was protesting against his government's policies, just like he did the same <laughs> at the fucking climate <laughs> march in Ottawa. <laughs> it's the fake wokeness from this government is unbelievable because it's like, like don't take a knee change change something you you're like the guy that can change something right and now. and i think Please. that's the bridge that connects them to wheat yes and it's worth yeah. worth pointing out uh, as my liberal haters have incessantly on twitter Conservatives have a lot of ties with we, too. We're not just criticizing liberals' ties with we. We're criticizing we's very existence. What's been fun the last little bit is that the We Foundation seems to be making news not about this gigantic scandal, but they just seem to be popping up in these innocuous nothing columns. In one, in one case, literally making the news. Yeah. Like crafting it. It's it's what do you mean that, that that was done by National Post staff. When a byline says National Post staff, it typically means that someone's too embarrassed to be attached to that story. That they forced someone to make Yeah. Yeah. Someone was either forced to write about it or it came from someone that they don't want to advertise is writing this thing. So I mean I I guess we should have a quick conversation about the relationship between um PR people and the news. Reporters are incredibly outnumbered and in in the battle between uh telling the truth and public rehabilitation of images uh comms people have won out because in the past couple weeks after this this column has uh or after this this new story about we and the federal government came out craig kielberger keeps popping up randomly so we got two columns here boys here's the first one um let me know what you think of this. This is written by the legendary National Post staff on July 17th. So effectively two weeks after all this great news about we and the federal government came out. The article is titled The Gospel of We, The Legend of the Kielbergers and Their Secularly Sacred Movement. Any thoughts off the top? That re- I mean, It sounds an awful lot like those passages from the book you read us that <laughs> is just trying to like confuse the leader with these like insane contradictions. Like it is both wet and dry. Yeah. Yeah. It is hot and cold. <laughs> it is about the individual, but it is also about the collective. Oh, right? yeah. And it just, it, you know, it's like designed to be a Rorschach test where, you read whatever you want into it. Yeah. It's so pompous and vague and full of nothing. Like it's just empty platitudes. Um, if anybody had their name attached to the story, um, they, they would have been bullied to shit. (laughs) They would have gotten roasted on Twitter. Like it's, it's super embarrassing. Um, so the story starts off with the, the legacy of, Craig Kielberger, which is where we always start. Um, as has been told countless times to his admirers, legend of Craig Kielberger, they actually refer to it as a legend, the child philanthropist begins on Easter Sunday, 1995, in a village just north of Lahore. 
that was when men linked to the lucrative Pakistani carpet trade rolled up on a group of boys riding bikes and used a shotgun to assassinate Iqbal Masi. Twelve, a baby-faced Christian boy whose family had sold him into slavery at a carpet mill at age four, but he escaped and became a global inspiration in the fight against child labor as leader of the bonded labor liberation front of Pakistan. Great story. I feel like Iqbal is, sounds like an awesome kid, and I'm very sorry. That what, what what liberation front is that? Um, the bonded labor liberation front of Pakistan. That sounds fucking cool. That yeah, honestly, they should be doing We Day. Yeah, they're they're probably doing better work on the ground that like a hundred percent doing better work on the ground than we. And I don't know anything about them. They just have a really cool name. <laughs> no, they. So I mean, and I, also like, like Iqbal was talking about people who ended up murdering him, and he was twelve years old. Um, that's that's objectively terrible. But I think it's it's almost disrespectful to his memory to use that as a platform to then get like random celebrities to go mm-hmm. on a stage and go, "We can change the world." Please give us money. I also don't like that this is the launching point for this article because it kind of puts you at like on the, on the like defense. I'm like, oh, maybe I can't criticize this because maybe it's disrespectful to this thing that like I agree that it sounds cool. I do find it weird that they refer to him as a baby faced <laughs> Christian boy. Like, what if he was? <laughs> yeah, okay, we like, get it. He's white. <laughs> like, he's almost Christ like. Is is what they're trying to get across. By the way, in this this piece, they don't mention the fact that they almost made nine hundred million dollars at this student service grant, and they they don't mention the fact that they had to can't they had to pull out of the grant, and they didn't mention the fact that the government's now uh, being asked a lot of tough questions about their relationship with the organization. But they yeah, they yeah. continue to talk very well about Craig. But that's in the past, Eric. We we have to live in the now and connect and with each other. <laughs> As individuals. I've always said the easiest way to live in the now is to talk about the legend of Craig Kielberger. That starts in 1995. So (laughs) let's go back into this. Children were all the rage in governance circles. Why not a child governor general? Columnist Gerald Owen wrote later in National Post, mentioning both Craig and Hannah Taylor, who started the Ladybug Foundation to help homeless people when she was aged eight in 2004, met a couple of prime ministers and raised millions of dollars, then wound it up last year before starting law school. Very wild that that's brought up and not the... the uh, the we foundation scandal is going on the feeling that the adult world has dropped the ball is evidence on every page wrote the children's novelist gordon corman in 1999 reviewing free the children craig's first book equally prominent is the belief that with enlightened support kids can leap into that breach so i don't know if you guys ever read a gordon corman novel um he wrote a lot of young adult fiction um typically it was like it have like a weird sexually awkward protagonist that liked a girl. I'm trying to think of titles. I one was called Son of the Mob, which is about a kid whose father was a mafia boss, and uh, he didn't want his friends in middle school finding out about it. Really good stuff. Cancel culture has gone way too far. <laughs> it's really good read. Thirteen um, year old boys don't last. Columnist Heather Malik found Craig positively grizzled at age 17 in 2000 when he settled a libel suit against Saturday Night Magazine over an article titled The Most Powerful 13-Year-Old in the World that Craig said contained false statements. So cool. It's always nice to to mention how uh, litigious your uh, <laughs> the head of your charity is. Um. Yeah, do you, do you think that that's like a dare? Right, like, like, come at me, bro. Yeah, I do. That's exactly I mean, what I, I think thought. so. A little bit. Didn't they? I don't think they they didn't sue Candleland, but they threatened to sue them in Manitoba because it doesn't have slap laws. <laughs> but slap is a, a strategic lawsuit against public participation. So you sue someone to shut them up, essentially, even if you have no chance of winning. Um, because of course, uh, court battles are costly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 wild that they would mention. Ha- like I feel like that's a bad thing to mention in a, a in a rehabilitation piece. But they they managed to sl- like slide in a fact that they sued someone and won a settlement. 
let me let me cut to this part. A child's resistance to injustice against children landed in that world like a gospel. Craig positioned Iqbal Masi as a kind of martyr figure in Free the Children lore and has tried to use his death to save other children from the same fate, according to a recently published academic study of Free the Children. No link to it. At the beginning of We Day events, it has become traditional to tell the story of Masi and reenact Kielberger's change-making moment of rallying his classmates behind his cause. This, this language, man, lore, tradition, legend, like, is, like, right off the bat, admires, like, like, do, do we have to say it? This is yeah, kind of no, cultish. This it's is evidently cultish. Like, you can't deny we is a cult. And read like nobody talks that way about someone unless yeah. they're in a call. Um, so I should I should mention this graph because this is this is the point where they they mention the scandal. Just let's let's review how much detail they go into on this thing. Get ready, boys. This cause, now the subject of national political scandal, was to promote empathy so intensely that it became a cult of cookie bakers as one young man involved with Free the Children described it to the researchers. So it is a cult, so, but <laughs> they bake cookies. It's like, mm-hmm. it's the most benign cult ever. Is that what they do in their, like, they bake wee villages? They bake them cookies and then be like, get your own fucking infrastructure. I just, <laughs> yeah, sorry, we're making oatmeal raisin today. We can't, we can't <laughs> dig any more wells. Um. <laughs> yeah. I have some good news and bad news. What's great about that is that that this cause now the subject of national political scandal is the mention of the last entire month in this entire article, which runs possibly like it looks like over a thousand words. It's it's a it's a long one. Sharde Mosu Rinjan, a Queen's University assistant professor in the School of Religion, and Emma Funnel Kananuk, a graduate student and elementary school teacher who has been involved with WE events, have been studying its spiritual aspects. They describe it as a new secular spiritual movement, or NSSM, which deliberately connects it to the category of new religious movements an academic sociological concept popularly known in the context of cults and alternative spiritualities that arose in the post-war seeking culture. I don't know why they're using this as, like, a positive. Again, it, it feels like they're using that to brag. Well, if you guys think about it, we all live in the cult of society. Um, I don't know what National Post staff was thinking when they wrote this thing. They argue we meets all five proposed criteria proposed to define new religious movements, a claim to esoteric knowledge, loose organization, charismatic leadership, and ecstatic or transfiguring experience. The latter can be seen in the We Day arena shows. But it's not as, it is not a neo-revival of a previous tradition, nor is it overtly religious, although the Kielbergers claim inspiration from world religions such as Tibetan Buddhist Dalai Lama, who's encouraged their compassion, the charitable impulse in Islam, Judaism, and others. Uh, uh, Craig studied peace and conflict at the University in Toronto and took a York ex- University Executive MBA, finishing in 2009. Is this a resume? Usually you don't put cult leader on, on your resume, so that's a bold <laughs> editorial decision. <laughs> well, let me tell you about Mark. Then. Mark has a posh hint of the mid-Atlantic in his accent, molded and mellowed by his Harvard and Oxford years of study. Craig speaks more like, obviously, like a suburban Torontonian, with the faintest memory in occasional blended syllables and slipped consonants of a youthful hearing-related speech problem. Both say the nicest things. <laughs> do, they, do they name any of the nice things they say? No. They do mention that they use the spirit of, or they use the language of spirituality with poetic elements that describe me to we as a growing wave and a philosophy of life in which teachers are meant to encourage we thinking in children. But yeah. they don't mention any of the nice things that they say. For, for examples of nice things the Kielbergers say, check out Canada Land Report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, and certainly nice things their workers in the third world say about officials who won't take their bribes. Um, <laughs> But, but this is like I hope we paid post media for 
this advertisement. It honestly, they they don't have a traditional um, main of advertising bit where they they mention the fact that they have sponsored content. But this to me, honestly, just screams sponsored content. That's my personal opinion. Please don't send me a notice of libel. Um, we Foundation or me to we or just Craig and or Mark. Uh, I know that you won your first libel sent- settlement as a seventeen year old. Don't sit this one out. Don't listen to this podcast if uh, if you can. Intriguingly for us, yeah. the Queen's researchers write selectively quoting the Keelbergers. This is supposed to be done through initial call to action, which transforms and enlightens participants. After awakening, participants then live out the me to we philosophy through the values of belonging, connectedness, community, helping, and well-being, all of which are integral to a particular concept of spirituality endorsed by the Kielbergers. The problem the We Charity aims to solve in 2020, the authors suggest, is actually spiritual impoverishment. <laughs> is actually spiritual impoverishment. The answer, as ever, is empathy. Caring is cool, as the Wee slogan goes. It means changing values, beliefs, attitudes, and yes, daily decisions, as the Kielbergers describe the scope of the Wee philosophy. This, wrote the brothers, can work miracles almost literally. The end. Why are the why are they shifting their focus to spiritual impoverishment? I'm pretty sure there's still a lot of yeah, like well, <laughs> they freed the children. Then they ended poverty, so now they're they're taking it to the higher plane. It makes sense, right? It's it's logic, Marino, because there's no metric for spiritual impoverishment, so you can't you can't look mm-hmm. at it critically and go, oh, they're not doing what they meant to do at all, which is completely different to uh, ending child slavery, which is very easy to point out that it has not been ended. It exists in many places around the world still. Uh, the second article is uh, written by the man himself, Jordan Peterson, Gregory Kielberger. Let uh, let me read this one because this one okay. resonated with me quite deeply. It's the uh, the name of this article is "Post Pandemic: We Need to Keep Our Workplaces Open." Is we capitalized? <laughs> No, no, just uh, <laughs> it's probably really hard for him. Is this about we? No, no, he's well, probably. Uh, Wait, well, so who who's this by? Craig Kielberger. <laughs> of course, it should. He, yes. The headline should have been capitalized. Yeah. yeah, and so so we should we should mention the fact that this was also published on July seventh, four days after uh, Canada Land published their piece. Uh, that included the uh, veiled threats made by the person who's running uh, Wii operations in Kenya. Um, so, so also wild that is not mentioned. Reno, please, I'm so sorry. I keep interrupting. It's okay. Please take us. Um, office centricity is over. So, <laughs> so declared Toby Lutke, uh, CEO of Shopify, as he unveiled the e-commerce giant's plans for a permanent remote working model. With cities across the country entering phase two of reopening, parks and patios have filled with people while offices have remained vacant. Maybe Lutke's, maybe Lutke was right. Twitter, Google, J.P. Morgan, even lawyers arguing cases in front of Canada's Supreme Court have all shown that jobs in sector, across all sectors can be done remotely. But what do we lose when we swap in-person office camaraderie for endless video conferences? I, I can guarantee you his employees fucking hate him. <laughs> like you could just tell by the like amount of disdain he has for like regular people and their ability to make change. Yeah. Oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah. The off the yeah. like the... he is a PMC both professional uh managerial class and apparently professional media class <laughs> type of guy. Well, yeah, the how how can you get work done at home when that's where your TV is and we watch all your dumb shows because you're a big fucking idiot. You get to work from home. What, what shows do you think he's into? Oh my god, he Kielberger probably watches Dexter. Like, this is wild. <laughs> he like he yeah. identifies with Dexter. Yeah, because <laughs> Dexter's yeah, just like a misunderstood guy. <laughs> It gets so much better because offices are more than places of work. 
For many, they are community spaces and places of service. They can help young employees carve out career paths. Offices can forge personal relationships and even help us find romantic partners. Has this guy never has this guy never been to like a bar or yeah. a park? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Or like a community center? No, no. He is uh he is too busy freeing the children and, and by this sentence, uh, making inappropriate advances on his employees. Yeah, this is very, like, you can just sum this up in the classic lame trope of, like, work, work, like work is like a family, which it's not. Like, you, there, there are better things in your life. Work is work. Like, don't if you're gay. listening, if you're listening and you work for we and want to unionize, slide into our DMs. Yeah. Yeah. Or... Or if Craig Kielberger has made uh, unwanted romantic advances on you, yeah, please also, let us know. <laughs> maybe don't slide into our DMs because that's a weird way of putting it. But yeah, shoot yeah, us yeah. a message. Yeah, send us a message. That's a very weird sentence, and I'm not okay with it. There's there's some real mental gymnastics here, like from graph to graph too. He's like, okay, so he goes on at the height of the pandemic lockdown, just under five million Canadians who normally commute, yada yada, uh, working from home. Many say they have enjoyed the experience, with nearly 80% reporting they'd be happy to avoid daily travel and office distractions even after the pandemic ends. I get it. I'm, <laughs> this, <laughs> I'm working this from home right it, now, <laughs> and I see the benefits. As I write this, my week's-old son is snoozing peacefully nearby, yada, yada. And studies have shown that flexible work benefits parents and carers, uh, uh, flexible work benefits parents and carers, specifically mothers. Office culture needs to change. I thought it was great, bro. I'm like, <laughs> there's something that makes that last graph particularly uh, hypocritical, and it's the person who runs uh, Wee's operations in Haiti works from Canada. So, like, I mean, in person work would be great, but your own organization isn't doing that. So, I don't know what you're talking about, Craig. Yeah, it's like I get to stay at home. Mm-hmm. But you fucking peasants better go to work and socialize and get each other sick. But yeah, that's that's the whole time I was reading this. That's what I was thinking. Like, that's the underlying, like, behind the words thing that's not being said. He just wants his employees to get, like, back into their place, basically. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm reading this. Office culture needs to change, but we have to keep the parts that level the playing field, expand access, and create community as we build a new normal. I Sharing a space lets you strike up impromptu conversations that build your network and forge relationships. For young people at the start of their career and for new Canadians navigating new uh, new office culture, these relationships can inform personal identities and provide <laughs> mentors. It's hard to branch out when you're stuck in a video screen. If only there was some way to, guys, if only there was some way to network socially online. <laughs> there's any way at all but unfortunately there is not what uh, like really strikes me about uh craig in particular is that being a boy wonder who went to to save the world at 12 um is that you can just say whatever the fuck you want and no one's ever gonna call you out for it it's it, like this it just smells like someone who's just way too confident and has no reason to back that up which is why he fits right in at the National Post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and to be fair, the the version of this that I have open to me is on Canada.com, which is one of the brands run by uh, Post Media. But I had seen it in their London publication as well. Did this make it to the National Post? Like, Marino, what version do you have? I have the Canada.com version. I'm not sure. I like that you brought up the whole that he like went off gallivanting and has this great adventure, but no, everyone else just has to go through the office like thing and start their careers uh, this way. No one else can be special. I am only, I may dance. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so he's left us with uh, sharing a space is like the only place you can build a network, like in an office. And also a lot of charitable giving happens in offices too. The United Way alone raises hundreds of millions every year through workplace campaigns. These, 
they can just fucking advertise on the internet instead. <laughs> These campaigns don't just impact the community. Whatever, I'm skipping this graph. And then there's mental health. No amount of instant mm. messaging, shared documents, or virtual meetings can replace face-to-face -face interactions. Companies are actively working on this problem with holograms and augmented reality soon to add to our pantheon of digital tools. Uh, for the time being, though, we're stuck with the fact that screens can't bridge the gulf between people quite like in-person interactions. From a personal standpoint, like, I don't know, like my work-life balance has increased, like improved exponentially since starting work from home. Like going to an office is inherently stressful. Like my coworkers are not really like my friends the way he's trying to position it. This, this whole concept is flawed from the start. And like work from home just from my experience like i get it maybe there are some people who are energized by being in the office but i think a lot of people just like get way 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 more benefits from working from home but but i digress yeah uh, i i think i think he's he's missing the point of like it's not the location that makes a job good Yes, it's probably easier to coordinate mm -hmm. with people when you're face to face. But if people are having a tough time working from home, it's probably because management sucks. It's that's that's an issue that's built into the culture. So if there's something going on at Wii where things feel like they're falling apart now that nobody's going into the Wii headquarters, maybe that's because you don't have the benefit of uh, your cult of personality following in the office where no one can talk back to you in person. People are just talking shit about you on private Slack channels now, Craig. <laughs> he really is like Barry Wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just axe emojis beside Craig's name. Anyways, mercifully, this article is short, so let's just get through it. Uh, the death yeah, of auspices yeah, yeah. has uh, been predicted for years. Following 9-11, companies were hesitant to fill the tops of towering downtown buildings. In the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, vanity headquarters were deemed too costly. Yet offices have remained because they add something special to our lives. When it's safe to do so, <laughs> I'm looking forward to heading back in the office there's so much work. There's so much more than work waiting for me. His adoring cult members. Oh. Yeah, I yeah. I fucking oh, hate this one. Yeah, I really yeah, do. that was that was very tedious. Um, but I think it does say a lot about at least one of the Kilbergers, mm -hmm. and it's just this utter disdain they have for common people who they view as just idiots that need. <laughs> to be brought together. And I think it's reflective of their view of the third world. I think we should yes. talk about that briefly. Yes. That there's, there's, there's a very, very colonialist tinge to put it mildly. Yeah. In what yeah. they're doing. We're looking at the Wii foundation from a post-colonial <laughs> lens. Uh, it, it's, it's horrible because what, what this feels like is uh, a, an organization that personifies weight savior complex. Like Kenya doesn't need a 12 year old Canadian kid from Thornhill to build wells and end child slavery. What they need is their government to step up and protect its people. Mm -hmm. Craig's not going to solve that. Well, what they need is for foreign capital to stop plundering them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Things like the world the, bank, the IMF, like all that, you know, like, yeah, the fact that Canada and North America benefits from those countries, like being in it sort of like a state of like having a lesser state and disincentivizes legitimate, like infrastructure building and stuff like that. You know, and like anything they'll teach you in a social 101 course, which is what basically where I'm cribbing all this knowledge from, but no, let's not <laughs> attack those structures. Let's talk, let's, let's worry about spiritual impoverishment or whatever the fuck platitudes. Yeah. And it reminds me of a quote Michael uh, Parenti has that in one of his lectures, I'll, I'll link to in the show notes because it's a classic, but Africa is rich, right? The third world mm. is rich. It's the people who live there, most of the people who live there who are poor, and that is why it's how we're able to sustain our consumerist culture it's on the back of the third world in sending mm. some ngo to build these weird villages where they bake cookies 
<laughs> is not helping things at yeah. all. It just it's yeah. literally to make people in the first world in the West feel good about themselves that that's, they're that's doing 100% something. It's thing. like it's like that you know the meme of Ralph Wiggum saying I'm helping. Yeah, it's literally yeah. that. Well, like volunteerism is particularly disgusting to me, and this is all my own opinion. But like the goal of organizations that are sending people to poverty-stricken areas all across the world is not to actually fix those spaces because then the money dries up. Um, the goal is to make people feel good about doing their bit. And what they do is they hit a piece of wood with a hammer and they put some nails in, and, or they, they dig a hole, which will eventually be a well, or they build a church. It's like, they don't need a church there. Leave them alone. If you let them just build them this, this themselves, they would have been employed. Instead, you're doing it for $10 an hour, <laughs> thanks to the student service grant awarded by the Canadian government. And possibly um, virtually. <laughs> it's, it's just gross. Um, the Kielbergers are gross, man. Yeah, they give off very creepy energy. And I, I, but I am interested, I mean, because Candle, I mean... Jesse, there, there, there's nothing Jesse Brown hates more than two things: the, C, <laughs> the CBC and the Kilbergers. And I am very interested to see what else they've got in the works on the Kilbergers, because it seems like there's a lot to uncover there. And because they're so well connected in circles of power nobody's talked about for far too long and i think we ought to give credit to candleland as we often do because they're often one of the only media outlets covering these types of stories while post media is publishing fluff um about the kielbergers and by the kielbergers because mm. it fits with their shitty ideology that you suck you are an idiot but we are righteous and we are making the world a better place by fucking virtue signal. Like, like we is the definition of virtue signal. Yeah. That yeah. a term that's been hijacked by the far right to talk about like, <laughs> basic compassion and decency. <laughs> yes. But the, I mean, centrist neoliberals are huge into virtue signaling and no one, more so than Justin Trudeau. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's become a part of his persona to pretend to want to change things for the better. And yeah. I'm sure there's, there's a part of him that, that legitimately believes he's doing that, but I don't know how you can look at his track record in the last, uh, the last two terms and really honestly believe that. I mean, unless you're taking, um, whatever pills the people are who are tweeting at you these days. No, but nothing but love for the haters. Another thing about we is that their structure is very complex, right? Because there's the charity and then there's business. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I believe Canada Land recently exposed that the money that Trudeau was giving them to carry out the summer jobs program, where, by the way, students were being paid were to be paid under minimum wage sick for which is very interesting coming from an organization that started to end child slavery <laughs> isn't but, that interesting but but they, um, they just but, they're talking about spiritual impoverishment now right they've rebranded yeah, they're paying was, above minimum wage in spiritual um, <laughs> enrichment right it's just like our patrons Yes. <laughs> we give them such positive energy that, you know, some of them may want to give it back in, in money. It yeah. was uh, uh, it, it was affiliated with a real estate holding company. Hmm. Offices are important. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Really makes you point. wonder. Um, that, but, that's wild. I didn't even, I didn't make that connection, but... That, yeah, I didn't that either. We need, that, we need to return to to work 
and they own twenty five million dollars in real estate or like whatever. Do you guys know the number? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if it's like corporate real like like office space. But I mean, like, come on. Well, yeah, it's it's at the very least an interesting coincidence that is worth uh, pointing out. They they actually don't own twenty five million. They own forty seven point three million dollars in real estate holdings. Um, that is fucking ridiculous. Um, and I wanted to put that out because I don't want to get anything wrong and be sued for uh, undervaluing the real estate holdings. That is extremely interesting. I, I also wanted to say that uh, they have a like media partners, like they're with basically everyone. And I think they're in tight. I don't know. Maybe cut that. But I can't find it. Because well, the, they were partnered with the, the Globe and Mail until like two weeks ago. The site is still loading. I mean, it, it won't, won't load. Sorry, their media partner site won't load. Right, yeah, they took it down, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Cool. Uh, cool. I, I believe Jesse Brown was tweeting about that. Um, but it's not a scandal still. No. No, no it's totally normal. And, yeah. I mean, to an extent, it is normal, but normalcy is scandalous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's like just because this happens a lot doesn't mean it's it's acceptable behavior like this is the stuff that needs to stop if canada's mm-hmm. going to be a functioning country at some point um i haven't seen it yet yeah we'll get there no we won't because canada is fake um guys did you read anything good this week uh maybe that wasn't about we I'd, I'd say Davide's Mastracci's piece on being stuck with the K's was one of my favorite reads. Um, not only this week, but this entire um, pandemic, because I, it just felt so so at home with uh, the way we've been tracking the last the last yeah. couple months, and uh, it's just it's nice to see a kindred spirit out there. Yeah, that was a very. But my favorite thing about that piece was how mad uh, John and especially Barbara. We're getting in the replies. Like, John did that that thread that was, you know, his classic, like, faux objectivity that is actually pushing a right-wing agenda. But Barb was just losing it. And uh, then she left the National Post. So, uh, shout out to Davide for uh, collecting a scalp. Yeah, I can, yeah, I consider that a W. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Huge win in the battle of ideas. Um, <laughs> she got owned. Uh, Marino, did you read anything good this week or recently? Uh, I'm not gonna lie; I've been like completely grounded to dust the past week uh, by work and stuff. But I did a, a little article called "Jason Kenny is Trying to Kill Alberta's Labor Movement." It came across <laughs> oh, my feed, and uh, no way! I wrote an article. Someone plagiarized me. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I stole it. I wrote it for the Post Millennial. <laughs> Wait, no, word is that, word, I, that's probably, it's probably written by the guy who hosts The Forgotten Corner. Co-host The Forgotten <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. Scott Schmidt has this trusty sidekick who's total fucking low-T beta male who has my name. And um, I want you all, if you're so inclined, to uh, tweet at the Forgotten Pod and ask them why they're fucking stealing my identity. Yeah, identity theft is not a joke. Um, yeah, Eric well, knows he was the first victim of identity theft. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still seeking justice for it. So, Jeremy, uh, we're with you all the way through this. We'll get your name back. Yeah. Well, anyways, I wrote a piece from Passage. I quite liked it. Um, it was, I thought it was, it was fantastic. Um, Davide is a great editor. Um, as far as content I consume this week, that's good. Um, I was actually just listening to what I believe is the most recent episode of our Ricochet Podcast Network comrade Rob Rousseau at 49th Parallel. I was listening to last night. He was talking with an individual who I feel really bad. I forget her name. But he was talking to her about the Wii scandal and was just knocking it all out of the park. You know, it's one, 49th Parallel is one of those shows that I listen to, and I'm like, this is exactly what I'm saying. So, yeah, shout out to them. 
shout out to other podcasts on the Ricochet Network, like Alberta Advantage and The Progress Report. And yeah, God's plan. God's plan. And shout out to our patrons on Patreon. Oh yeah, we have yeah. one. We have one whose name we have to read out, but he wants yeah. his Twitter name to be read out. At Matt Gurney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Matt Gurney, thank you so much for giving us ten bucks a month and um giving us a five star rating on iTunes or wherever the Apple kids are listening to on their podcast these days. Thank you very much to official holograph from the Hanway Forge. Uh, you have given us uh, strength and uh, given us the ability to um, defame the Kielberger family who are both doughy idiots and deserve everything that's coming to them. In my opinion. Sounds good. All right, guys. Um, I had a blast today uh, talking about the uh, Canadian McBoyle twins. And, um, yeah, we'll see y'all next week, unless you're a patron, and then we'll see you in a few days for our bonus episode. So subscribe. Okay, bye. Peace. Bye.